How long does it take for a good idea to catch on? Well, in the case of organic food, it's taken a very long time. My guest today is Maria Rodale. We're going to talk about organic, the organic manifesto, and more. Hello again and welcome. It's Ken Drews, and you're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. We usually start the show with a question from a listener that we receive from Ken Drews Real Dirt at yahoo.com. This week's show is all about answering a question. And my guest today is Maria Rodale. She's the chairman and CEO of Rodale Inc., the largest independent publisher in America. And I sort of began with a question, and we're going to answer that question today on the show. Maria's grandfather, J.I. Rodale, founded Rodale, Inc. in 1930. He knew that there was a direct relationship between the declining health of America's soil and the health of America's people. In those days, in 1930, that was a revolutionary idea, even though he went back to techniques that had been used for millennia, which is feed the soil, with the things that are there, well, sustainable gardening, no chemicals, no chemicals, no chemical fertilizers, no fungicides, no herbicides. And in 1942, J.I. founded Organic Farming and Gardening magazine, known today as Organic Gardening. And Organic Gardening is a magazine which has, as we've talked about on the show, been redesigned and remade, and it's a wonderful, beautiful magazine for everybody who loves to grow food. In the old days, you probably remember that little magazine, that uh, little handbook that came out, and many of us saw it, and many of us subscribed to it. And about 1950, J.I. introduced Prevention Magazine, which had as big an effect about how to prevent illness and disease rather than waiting to cure it. Well, those were revolutionary ideas way back then, but these are things that we think about all the time now. And I want to ask Maria about publishing, because since she is the main strategist for the company and the chairman and CEO, she knows a lot about publishing, and she knows a lot about putting out a magazine, putting out books, and now having a website, rodale.com, which is going to be the clearinghouse for all sorts of information. And I want to ask her also about what she thinks the future of publishing might be. So uh, I'm really looking forward to speaking with Maria Rodale, and I'm going to do that right now. I'd like to welcome Maria Rodell to Ken Drew's Real Dirt. Hello, Maria. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to speak with you. Thank you. Uh, you've described yourself as a writer, a cook, organic enthusiast, romance novel lover, <laughs> country music <laughs> fan who does yoga. Uh-huh. By night, you say you are an M-O-M. Mean, mean old, old mom. mom. <laughs> <laughs> to three lovely girls, I'm sure. That's right. In fact, my 13-year-old is sitting here listening, so well, she can nice. confirm that's true. <laughs> <laughs> By day, you say you are the chairman and CEO of the largest independent publisher left in America. That's also true. Rodale publishes some of the best-known health and wellness lifestyle magazines, including Men's Health, Prevention, Women's Health, Runner's World, Bicycling, Running Times, Mountain Bike, and, of course, Organic Gardening. And you've published books like An Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore, The South Beach, Beach Diet, and your recent book, Organic Manifesto. Yes. In your book, you lay down some inconvenient truths of your own. <laughs> We've been hearing about some of these things like the poisons that are used in commercial agriculture. This is scary stuff. Yes, it is. It's really scary. And, you know, it's important to think about, but I can't think about it all all day or all 
just give up. Well, that's interesting that you should say that because uh, it, it makes you want to cry sometimes and, <laughs> and you feel, well, it makes me upset and angry and want to do something. And there's so much in the book that's kind of gloom and doomy. And uh, then you do have suggestions and things that we can do. But to, can you tell me just to give our listeners a, a couple of ideas, some of the some of the horrible things that are happening? Well, you know, when I started the book, I, you know, f for me, the best way to learn about something is to research and write about it. And I kind of expected that the story would be that organic food is more nutritious than chemical food. And, you know, that maybe if you eat the chemical food, you would get cancer. But what I uncovered was this vast storehouse of research showing that um, the chemicals used to grow chemical food, it's not just what we put in our mouth, but it's what we put into our environment, mm -hmm. are causing everything from diabetes, cancer, autism, ADHD, um, uh, Parkinson's disease. And the information is out there. And many of these studies are even done by the U.S. government, but they haven't either been picked up by the media or infiltrated into our policy. So, um, so there's, to me, there's by far enough evidence to say that, you know, we should j just be banning all these chemicals from our environment. And, and a lot of the diseases that we see as ep epidemics today have a very direct correlation to how we grow our food. Yeah. Well, I, I know when I speak to people about this, they get very excited. They get very involved when I'm talking to them, but then they don't get exactly motivated. Maybe all this these sad stories kind of make them unmotivated, but how can we, well, people are becoming more aware of them and doing yeah. things about it, but how can we encourage that even more? Well, I think it's two things. One is um, just in your daily life, buy organic and demand organic. I mean, it's something we do every day is choose the food that we're going to eat, go to the supermarket, choose the clothes we're going to wear. And um, there's so many organic choices out there now. And even, you know, writing to your congressperson um, or, oh, here comes the train. I hope that's... <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to you from Emmaus, Pennsylvania, and the train always goes by uh, every once in a while. <laughs> it's very authentic. <laughs> I like the sound, actually. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> um, so... Um, yeah, you were talking you know, about buying, demanding buying organic, demanding organic from our elected officials. But the other thing is just education and educating our children. And and um, I, you know, one of the happiest moments ha of this week happened when um, my daughter came home from school and said, "You know what I learned at school today is that um, agricultural chemicals are considered considered weapons of mass destruction." Mm. And I thought, okay, it's getting to the you know, it's getting to where it needs to get to where our children need to grow up understanding how um, these chemicals are devastating to them, and it's up to all of us to fight back. And they're devastating uh, to the earth yes. and devastating to farming and mm -hmm. de devastating to soil. Mm -hmm. And getting that message out is something we have to do, too. I mean, fighting the giant commercial growers is really, I guess that's something we do have to do. Well, and that's that's the other point I really wanted to get across in the book is that we tend to segment our passions. You know, you're either um, a wildlife protector or, um, you know, a 
you know, a bird lover, a polar bear saver, or, you know, a vegan or, um, you know, a locavore. And the truth is, every single one of these passions that we have for the planet and for people are tied back to chemical agriculture. And it's the one thing we can change that will have a massive positive impact on all those aspects of our universe. You acknowledge in your book that organic foods cost more. We all know that when we go to the <laughs> store. Uh, I have a studio in Brooklyn, New York, and when I go shopping at the grocery store, I see the that regular apples that aren't even organic apples, they cost as much as a Big Mac. Mm -hmm. it, it's very hard, especially in urban areas, to help people make these decisions. Well, I don't even know how to help these people make decisions. As you just heard me say, an apple costs as much as a Big Mac? What am I going to do? <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think there's two things about that statement. You know, one is that Big Mac is, and even the chemical ap apple are heavily subsidized by the government. Um, and it's artificially cheap because with our tax dollars, we're paying for um, the subsidies to the chemical companies, to the chemical farmers. We're paying for the health care that's resulting in all. So it's not cheap at all. Mm -hmm. um, even when it's expensive, it's not cheap. Um, but the other thing, there's a, a growing movement, which is very um, pleasing for me to see, of um, inner-city CSAs, community gardens, um, and people kind of... Um, uh, I mean, I've even seen uh, produce trucks <laughs> that drive into the city with um, produce from other uh, parts of parts of the region where people can buy their fruits and vegetables. And so that is that is a major thing that we can all work to change. And there's a lot of good groups trying to do that. Change by our, our shopping habits and, as you said, by contacting our congresspeople. Right, and also just by accessibility and, and you know, providing access and, and making sure that people do have access to good, clean, healthy food. Well, I heard uh, through the grapevine that you recently built a house, a, a very <laughs> modern house. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, I don't know if I would call it modern. It's a, <laughs> it's, cause In it's a actually, way, it's very modern. <laughs> it's an eco house mm -hmm. that um, we built. It's actually modeled after um, some of the very old Japanese houses, um, what they call a minka house. And, um, and we tried to do everything recycled and local and and non-toxic and organic and and um it you know so it doesn't feel like a modern house and it doesn't feel like a traditional eco house that you might find in um you know these modern magazines it's it's actually it feels like home mm. but it's safe and clean and non-toxic well what are what are some of those things specifically um well on the you know lo we used local um bluestone local fieldstone um uh a lot of local uh craftsmen's craftsmen and artisans in terms of the building of it on the recycled front we you know our roof it looks like slate but it's actually recycled car tires oh and <laughs> all the tile in the house is is recycled tile it's made out of recycled um, products and um, there's solar hot water mm -hmm. and photovoltaic solar so we have two different kinds of solar um, and and um, uh, there's a lot of um, 
antique lighting fixtures that have been regenerated. So it's 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 very eclectic, but it it's fun. And it sounds wonderful. <laughs> sounds absolutely one a dream. And I'm sure it wasn't that easy to pull off either. No, it took quite a while, but it it was very much of a labor of love and a creative process. And there's lots of, you know, natural light and windows and we don't have air conditioning. That's the other big thing that people find stunning. Um but I don't like it to begin with and then um uh, you know, if you design a house correctly, you don't really need it. So. Right, right. I'm speaking with Maria Rodale, CEO and chairman of Rodale, Inc., the largest independent publisher in America, and you're listening to Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Thank you for staying with me. I'm speaking with Maria Rodale, CEO and chairman of Rodale, Inc., the largest independent publisher in America and the publisher of Organic Gardening Magazine. And, well, I think it's fair to call you, Maria, um, me, well, I guess we can say Maria the Media Mogul. <laughs> sure. It's so hard in public. Me I don't Rupert know. Rupert Murdoch. Well, that's a good example <laughs> of the opposite. <laughs> I don't even have to say a word after that. <laughs> it's so hard to cope in these days of fragmented media. Um, the present and the future, well, the present is the future. You know, when you try to think of what's next, what next is now. <laughs> I, I'd like to know some of the things that, some of your thoughts about the future of publishing and communication and what you and Rodale are, are doing, what you have in store today for tomorrow. Well, that is that is the $64,000 question. Is that the game show? $64,000? <laughs> Today it would be million or billion. <laughs> that everybody in, in publishing is trying to, to figure out. And um, I think what I keep saying to the team here is, like, think like a consumer. Um, how do you want to get your media? And um, the Internet is great for things that I want now, that I need to know now, and for connecting with people. So social media, um, Facebook, but also immediate answers. Um, magazines are great for, you know, I'm so sick of looking at a screen all day. I just want to sit back on the couch and, like, read about, you know, what celebrity is going out with who and or, you know, just read a long article on something that's good and beautiful pictures. Um and then in in the book front too, it's um, it's uh, some books you want to read on paper and in bed, and others you want to read um, quick and and voraciously. And in fact, romance novels are the fastest growing category on the ebook readers because um, women who read those books tend to not only are they made fun of because of the covers, which is grossly unfair mm. but <laughs> um, they tend to read up to 50 books a year so it's a very um, quick and easy way to get you know get your reading fix so I think you know the, tr the truth is we have to look at everything that's out there and all of our behaviors and what we want and I don't think books and magazines are going to go away um, but um, as someone recently said at our company digital isn't second either so um, we have to be flexible and adaptable and and committed to understanding what our customers want and how they want it and when they want it. What do you mean digital isn't second? Um, well, I think 
in publishing companies specifically, you know, traditional publishing companies, digital is seen as like an add-on. Oh, you know, I see. A secondary yeah. thing. It's like, well, okay, we've done our books and magazines, but now let's think about digital. Um, so it's really a mind shift for us traditional, uh, f- you know, formerly traditional publishing companies to put digital as high, if not higher, than the other forms of um, of media. So, oh. um, you know, for a digital company, of course, digital is first. So, what do you think is going to happen as far as making money? <laughs> what will the future be? Well, I mean, getting advertising and things like that, because the advertising it is also fragmented, and uh, so many of the adver- so many of the advertisers don't really get it. Yeah, I think um, there's two different types of digital companies. The one is, you know, the, and we think of this, you know, like the the startup companies that um, become their profit mo- their profit plan is to go public and raise a lot of money and you know they may or may not be profitable. Um, I, as a traditional publisher, find it disconcerting to be completely reliant on advertising. Um, and so, the way we look at it here is there's advertising and there's e-commerce, and we're actually profitable in digital right now. Oh. Um, based on, you know, advertising plus e-commerce. So we're selling books and magazines and um, e-books online um, to our to our customers. And um, I think, you know, the future for us is how can we even grow into more e-commerce? Because, you know, think about your own behavior again. Um, I mean, I bought almost everything for Christmas this year online. Yeah. I, in, in fact... Most, you know, other than going to the grocery store, um, almost everything is online for me. It is convenient, and I I know that you've recently launched Rodale.com. Is that kind of a a new digital place, a new website? Uh, yeah, Rodale.com is our daily health and environmental news website. Um, we actually. Even before we launched Rodell.com, we have an amazing library here with research librarians who are scouring every journal and every website every day to provide the latest news for our magazine and book editors to say, okay, what should we write stories about? And it it just occurred to me about um, three years ago that we should be just turning this into, you know, news that that our customers can access because it's really, you know, it's the most timely, immediate way to find out what's going on in our world with health and the environment. And um, I think that's the sweet spot for Rodale is the connection between the health and, and the environment, that we're not an environmentalist site, we're not just a health site, but it's where those worlds meet and how they are connected. And and um, so it's a great place to go if you want to find out today's news on studies that have been released or... Um, food recalls that are happening, and then in the traditional Rodel way, understand what it really means mm. and what you can do about it. That That is great because we it's it's handy and it's immediate, as you say, mm-hmm. and there's one spot. You can go to one place and see all that stuff. Right, and we, you know, we want to be the trusted source for people because, you know, we have been the trusted right. source. You, I was going to say you are. <laughs> <laughs> you want to con- continue to be. That's right. <laughs> Do you have another book in the works? I know that people don't like to talk about I don't like to talk about the next book. 
something uh, floating around in your mind? Well, you know, my blog, which is uh, mariasfarmcountrykitchen.com, is, it, you know, it's, it's a great kind of way of writing. I, I post recipes and stories there three times a week, and you kind of see what pops to the top with traffic. And um, people seem to be really enjoying my recipes. And actually, my daughters have been clamoring for me to put them into book form. So I think probably the next book will be a, a compilation of um, my recipes from my blog. And um, I try to make cooking really simple and easy. And what um, my one daughter coined um, yummy fall. <laughs> so, um, but I don't have any massive research, you know, um, but although Organic Manifesto is coming out in paperback in um, April of 2011, so. What, what have been the responses? I know you've probably spoken about the book around the country. Uh, what's it like? Um, it's interesting. It's, it's you know, it it didn't, it hasn't caught on in a massive way. And I think partly because... Um, it is something people prefer not to think about. Exactly. And um, when I have talked to people who've read it, it's been, uh, you know, life-changing for them, which is very gratifying. And um, the most rewarding thing has been I've talked to a couple of organic farming groups, and those farmers just are so grateful um, for the kind of validation of the hard work that they've been doing. And um, that's been the most emotional for me is, is seeing how grateful they are and um, how, you know, how hard they work to do the right thing. And people are still making fun of them, which just incredible, sad. Yeah. It's sad. Um, So they, you know, they, they've been very um, wonderful supporters and, um, I actually have probably more speech speaking engagements booked um, for 2011 than I did for 2010. So I think it's also building, you know, as word is getting out. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, building in momentum. Well, that's it's great that it's coming out in paperback, and that's the wonderful thing about publishing and publishers who are aware of this. There used to be something called a backlist. I'm sure you mm-hmm. remember. Yes, we still have it. We yeah. still, it's still 50% of our book business. Well, keeping books in print is very important. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Well, and I you. encourage listeners to check out Maria's Farm Country Kitchen, and we'll have a link on the Kendrew's Real Dirt Radio website. And Maria, thank you again. It's been a pleasure and exciting and Maybe we can do this again sometime. I would be thrilled, and it's such a nice pleasure to speak with you finally as well. Thank you. Well, it was interesting to hear from Maria. Maria, who is such a real person, working in a real place in Emmaus, Pennsylvania, with real trains going by, just in case you were wondering. No, I didn't add the train noise. That was that was the real thing. And Organic Gardening and the other magazines that Rodale publishes are real. But reality uh, takes takes a little bit of work, and having a good vegetable garden that really produces and even looks good, that takes a bit of work, but not as much work as having a six-pack. And when you see the cover of Men's Health magazine and you see the six- or eight-pack abs, uh, it takes, well, that's a full-time job. 
That's one thing about gardening that we really can enjoy is that gardening is something you can do, you can pick up. You know, I've said before on the show, too, that if you're at the computer all day and you want to take a break, you can't just uh, take a break and say, okay, now I'm going to play violin in an orchestra to get away from it all. I mean, that's something you just can't pick up. But gardening is something you can pick up. Anyone can pick up, especially those people who say they have black thumbs. You know, we all, we all kill plants. We all fail at first. It's a matter of trowel and error. And if at first you don't succeed, you're bound to be a gardener. That's the way to learn. I've never killed a plant without learning something. But uh, I'm going to be doing more vegetable gardening next season. I'm planning for it because not only is it the trend and the wave, but it's fun. And I always think that growing a plant from seed is incredibly rewarding. But imagine growing a plant from seed, harvesting food, fruit or vegetables, and eating them too. See you next week on Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show.